So welcome everyone to another episode of Hashtag Blessed. Today we have with us Deborah Moldau, who <laughs> is the founder of the Garden of Light. And I'm actually going to hand it over to her to allow you uh, to introduce that part of it from herself. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be blessed. What can I say? <laughs> Every day. So, uh, yes, I'm, um, I'm Reverend Deborah because I'm an interfaith minister. I'm an ordained interfaith minister. I founded the Garden of Light a few short years ago to serve as an online platform for the emerging global spirituality. So tell us a little bit more about the, the global emerging global spirituality and what significance that has in your world, much less to people who may be listening today. Well, I think that everybody on the planet is in uh, an evolution of consciousness right now. So we're, we're in transition from a particular level of consciousness to the next level. So for some people, maybe they're still living very close to the land in a, in, or maybe in a tribal culture, and they're not living at the same uh, development as, as like the Western world. So they're on a different track. I'm not saying it's, it's better or worse. But for those of us who live in the developed world where we're in modern democracies, we're all now becoming global citizens, at least. So Deb, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey, how it began? Whoa. When you get to be my age, there's a lot of journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what yeah. made you pick so this path of spirituality? It, no, it, to it totally picked me. Mm. So mm. I, I was a child actress. I thought I was put on earth to be on the stage. And then after college, I became a singer. And, you know, I was totally in show business. And then I had a kind of a midlife crisis. And in the middle of that midlife crisis, I found myself doing some things that were a little bit different for me. I was working with an organization that brought Tibetan culture into the West. So I was becoming steeped in Tibetan Buddhism. Mm. I was singing at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York, which is a, a, an Episcopal church. So I was going there regularly, even though my family is Jewish. I was attending unity services by myself. That's another kind of Christianity. I was um, reading all kinds of, um, I was reading autobiography of a yogi, which I think started a lot of people on a spiritual path. I had started meditating. All of these things were, were sort of incubating in me. And then one day when I was really at a loss for what to do next, I sat down in meditation because I had read somewhere that if you got quiet and you asked a question, you could get an answer. Wow. Was there anything in particular that catalyzed that moment? Was there like a specific incident that had you say, you know what, something really needs to change? Yes. Was there like, I think the best way is like, was there like a... Yes, there's always that moment when life brings when life brings you to your knees, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when it's just not working, and I, I, I just didn't know what to do next. Would you be open to sharing with us about what that moment was for you? Like, what actually caused that to happen? The catalyst for change. Well, for me, it was about my work. So I had um, 
the foundation that I was working for had run out of money and that wasn't an option anymore. And I, I tried to get another job with some people that I'd worked with before and just they weren't even considering me. I, I just was at one of those crossroads where you go, well, I don't get it. Like, what's what am I supposed to do? Mm. So I sat down and I asked, why didn't I get that job? And I heard an answer immediately. And it said, because it's time for your real work to begin. Wow. wow. So and I was, I would say I was just north of 40 at that time. So, you know, truly midlife, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> right, ideally. Right? <laughs> well, and I think that's really important. And I, I, for myself, that's really a powerful statement. And I believe for the people that also be listening, and the reason I asked is because, you know, we all have crossroads in life and they come at different times. You know, mine has been personally and been in the last year or two, and it's really caused me to question and discover and look for what is my path and what is my calling and diverge from, you know, I've been a professional photographer for years and now it's looking like that's not really my calling, even though I'm really good at it. You are an outstanding photographer, Daryl. Thank you, darling. Uh, so we, I've had something similar, like, you know, this is my work is, uh, Something but else. you know what? I was a pretty good sing- I was a pretty good singer too. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> Just because we're good at something doesn't necessarily mean that's what we need to be doing. Right. Right? It's like once it stops getting your goat, once it stops, you know, driving you and being, you know, something of passion and desire that you really have to explore because I know for myself that was that's been the journey is like why here's this thing that I love and I've been doing for most of my life but all of a sudden it's like it doesn't fulfill my soul. It doesn't fulfill my heart. Mm. I'm not driven to do this anymore. Why mm. is that? And for me, it's been a deeper soul calling. So I'm really curious now to hear. So like you had this. Well, let, let me then really recommend this little piece of technology of just to sit down and get quiet and ask. Yeah. Is there something that I'm supposed to do next? And that's when you get the whispers come in, right? Yeah, it, it, was, um, it was pretty louder than a whisper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really, you know, I mean, that was, I, I my jaw hit the floor when I heard that. Wow. Time for my real work to begin. When you say it came to you and it was so strong and prophetic and so forth like that, was that like an actual physical voice you heard in the back of your head or how did that show up? Yeah, I'd say it was a voice in the back of my head, but it was so clearly not my voice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my journey has been about discerning the difference. Wow. Yeah. And so just to point to that real quick, you know, for people who are listening, if you're asking about what is that little voice in your head, and maybe some people think that sounds a little crazy, because I've heard that as well on the way, like, what do you mean the voice in your head? I'm like, just stop and be quiet for the morning for a minute. And they go, yeah, the voice that said, what little voice? That's the voice. So just yeah. throwing that little piece yeah. in there for people who are listening. And sometimes it's very practical. It'll say, you know, don't forget your keys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you need to be able to hear it. Otherwise, you're going to go out the door and slam it shut. <laughs> right? or, or like, you should go to this thing or you should definitely not go to this thing. Right. Right. Follow those exactly. those little bits and pieces of us is that are driving us and pushing us towards what our greatest good is underneath of it all. Yeah. And now, so it's, you've been at this for quite some time. You had this awakening. So I asked, I, said, I was like, okay, smarty. So what is that work? 
And it answered me and it said, be a minister. Mm. So I just told you all of these different things that I was doing, these different activities related to different religions, but my family was Jewish. So be a minister was, you know, kind of from left field, (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) What did your family think? Well, you know, of course, at that point, they didn't know anything about it. Oh, okay. Right. But, But what happened was, within the next few days of speaking to people, I learned about a rabbi in New York who had founded an interfaith seminary. Wow. I had never heard of such a thing. Mm. Now there's a lot of us interfaith ministers, but back in the in, you know in the early '90s, not so much. <laughs> we, and that was we, your we that was the first new. that was your first step into getting on the path. It was exactly it was, well. You can okay, call some of those. Now you could call some of those other experiences steps along the path, you know, starting right. to meditate and editing a book on Tibetan Buddhism and, you know, all kinds of things like that. But they were sort of random at that point. Whereas once I started studying to be an interfaith minister and I had no idea where could that, I mean, there's no career at the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not right. obvious. There's no interfaith right. churches waiting to hire you. Right. So when I, it took this program, I, I really didn't have a clue where it was leading. And yet it was the gateway that opened up so many opportunities in my life uh, that eventually took me to what has been my career path for the last more than 20 years, representing a peace organization at the United Nations, being involved in the founding of the Worldwide United Religions Initiative, and meeting the people who would connect me to many other other opportunities, like I'm co-director of the Evolutionary Leaders Project of the Source of Synergy Foundation, and I'm now a creative consultant with Unity Earth, the program that I met you guys through. So, so all of this opened up through that gateway of becoming ordained. Let's changing talk my about life that for a second. Tell us about the United Nations and that journey, and then we can jump into the evolutionary leaders part of this. The United Nations has a system where nonprofit organizations can affiliate with it mm-hmm. as NGOs, right? Non-governmental organizations. Right. We like to think of ourselves with a positive term like civil society, but they use a negative term, non-governmental organizations, because the United Nations is an association of governments. Right. So when a, an NGO becomes affiliated with the United Nations, its representatives get grounds passes so that we're able to come and go to meetings there. And we also have opportunities to meet among ourselves. So any organization that is religious or spiritual in nature that's affiliated with the United Nations and has some representation in New York becomes part of a community of religious and spiritual NGOs. And we all know each other and we have shared meetings and events. We co-sponsor different activities. So that has been a tremendous way to expand our associations in, the, in that community as well as working for the outreach of our own organizations. So I was representing for 22 years the World Peace Prayer Society, whose prayer is 
may peace prevail on earth. Mm, I love and that. that prayer is on peace poles in different languages in every country of the world. There's about a quarter of a million of them. There's wow. a quarter of a million of those across the world. Yes. That's incredible. And anybody who's listening who wants to plant a peace pole in your own community, you are more than encouraged to do so. And uh, I don't, just, yeah, how would one do that? How do I do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that right now. Right? I'm going to order it on Amazon. I'm going to go put it up next to the Hollywood sign. <laughs> yes, that would be beautiful. <laughs> I can so, do that right in the backyard. Right in the backyard. <laughs> Very simple. The World Peace Prayer Society's website has the best web address ever. It's worldpeace.org. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's great. So you can click on the Peace Pole Project and get all kinds of information there. Right. And you, you can purchase a Peace Pole or you can make a Peace Pole because we have Peace Poles all over the world that, it, you know, in developing countries, there are Peace Poles that are made out of all different kinds of materials that are appropriate right. to the country that have all kinds of indigenous languages on them. It's really a beautiful project because the, the Peace Pole has become one of the very few internationally recognized symbols of peace. Wow, really? That's really cool. Well, think about are there, it. Are there more what photos? symbolizes peace? A dove, which comes out of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh -huh. So it's a little bit particular, right? And then what else would be a symbol of peace? The anti-nuke sign, you know, mm. that's kind of an anti. Right. right? So. Holding two fingers up, that's a good one. Yeah. But if you want to stake your claim, plant a peace pole. That's pretty cool. That's cool. I really love the idea behind that and that anybody can do it. I really also really like the idea ideas of making your own, but that's pretty cool. Do they have photos on the website of oh, sure. stuff? Yeah, that's really cool. We got to make oh. something at the Burning Man. Yeah. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yes. New project. Okay. <laughs> Art project decided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even a, a little place where people could make their own peace pulls at Burning Man. Right. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that could be amazing. Sign it. Yeah. Write on it. Yes, and there are artistic peace poles, and, and there are peace poles that kids decorate once they're made. You know, as long as it says, may peace prevail on earth on one side, it's, it's like official. It's part of the, and it's, it's important because it's the prayer is connecting heaven and earth through mm, this, wow. through this uh, column. Usually it's like a four by four with a little pyramid on the top. Uh -huh. Sometimes there, there's more sides, like a six-sided peace pole. You can have four languages on the pole, or you can have eight, or you can have six or 12. Um, and all the languages, you'll find that on the website also at worldpeace.org. Great. Now, let me ask you, you've planted a quarter of a million of these around well, the world. Well, not me. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying you have a network of these around the world. Um, and you've been doing this for a while now since you've been part of this organization. What has been some of the, the breakthroughs, realizations, the shifts, anything that you've noticed that really stood out from doing this and really made you convicted to stand behind the cause, so to speak, if that makes sense? Well, I can answer that on a couple of levels. So one is just what I've noticed with any community that plants a peace pole. The way the community comes together to, to plant the pole and plan the dedication of the peace pole can be enormously healing for a community and community building. Because if you, if you want to, say you want to give a peace poll to your local high school, well, they're not going to just say, oh, sure, put it over there. Mm. You know, there's a whole process 
of choosing the languages that are appropriate to the community, of um, uh, planning exactly the site that's perfect for that. And maybe it's a site that has a war monument and it's nice to put a, a peace pole there as well, you know. For the dedication ceremony, you might want to have uh, children reading poems or the Boy Scout band or the ladies auxiliary, you know, I don't know. But you want to have like different constituencies come together. and. The most healing example that I ever heard of, this was incredible. It's a community called Frogtown, which is in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And it's very diverse. There are a lot of immigrants in the community. And we had a wonderful peace representative there, we still do, his name is Melvin Giles, who made it his mission to plant peace poles all over this community. And the way it began was that there was a shooting and a little girl had been accidentally killed. Oh, wow. And the community came together and planted a peace pole in her honor in a local park. And all of the different people, all of the different peoples of this community came together for the peace pole dedication to make this their own, that, that they were going to make this a community of peace and continue to plant peace poles in different places in the community. That's amazing. And my favorite place that they planted one in front of the police station. And that peace pole has the different languages of the different immigrant groups on it. And for instance, they have a lot of Hmong people there, the, um, the indigenous peoples of Vietnam. And when, when they would come, you know, the police in their country, maybe they didn't, weren't so anxious to come into contact with. But when they came to America, they saw, they saw the message, may peace prevail on earth in their own language in front of the police station. Wow. How, how incredible is wow. that? Wow, that's a powerful statement right there. That's really incredible. Yeah. So this is a project that anybody can do. Even if you if you choose to purchase a peace pole, they're not expensive. I mean, you can get them in different materials at different costs, but it's not expensive in and of itself, but it really takes bringing your community together. Mm. You just gave me um, a really good idea. A friend of mine, he's coming on the show in a few episodes. He was actually part of the Florida shooting um, that oh. happened in Parkland. And wow. I think it'll be great to Plant put a one peaceful, in Parkland. Yeah, uh, in Parkland to have one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to bring it up to him and have him lead the charge on that. Plant so one for every be, student to perish. So that'd be amazing. Yeah, there were 17 of them that yeah. lost their lives. So. I have actually taken part in a very similar peace pole dedication. This was in Montreal. The uh -huh. same thing happened. A shooter came into a college and just opened fire. And the students and the faculty got together and planted a peace garden. And on the day that they opened the peace garden, mm. they dedicated a peace pole at the same time we unveiled a peace pole there. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. And as you say, that there's hummingbirds floating outside my window. Just for the oh. record. Oh! So, <laughs> You know, this is really beautiful, and I'm really curious how this part of the journey has translated into the other pieces you've done. So you've worked with the UN, and now you've also you're also working with the evolutionary leaders. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, you founded evolutionary. Wait, okay, so well, you founded evolutionary. Uh, let me just um, let me just put the cap, the UN cap on that um, ah, World Peace Prayer Society part <laughs> sure. because uh, at the United Nations. My focus has been the UN International Day of Peace. So September 21st is this special date that 
every member state of the United Nations has signed on to. So it doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to everybody, to every nation in the United Nations, which is most of the nations of the world. And we, the World Peace Prayer Society, with our partners, the United Religions Initiative, Pathways to Peace, the Jane Goodall Institute, we have been working for, well, in my case, it's It was more than 20 years with the UN Department of Public Information. And every year we would produce a student observance of the International Day of Peace. And each year it grew and until the Secretary General started taking part in it and messengers of peace, including Jane Goodall. And it would be webcast live. And at the same time, we were doing outreach around the world to try to convince all of our fellow organizations in civil society that this was a terrific day to use as a platform to showcase whatever your group was doing to create a culture of peace. Mm. And in the beginning, nobody ever heard of it. It's really hard to get good news out of the United Nations. Like, it's there's a lot of good news inside the United Nations, but it's somehow the media doesn't pick it up and bring it outside its walls. So we put a lot of effort into spreading the word about the International Day of Peace and inviting people all over the world through our organizations to participate however they wanted to, and especially to take a minute of silence at 12 noon for peace so that that would go around the world. And that work has been amazingly successful in that now so many groups within the community of awakening consciousness. So that would be both the interfaith community and also people like the evolutionary leaders, and I'll talk about that in a minute, are using the International Day of Peace as a focal point for everyone on the planet to focus together on peace. Maybe that's all it takes is the tipping point right on that day, you know? Perhaps it could be that easy. And again, just for the listeners out there, what is the date and time of that? September 21st, every year, is the UN International Day of Peace. And 12 noon is when we, we suggest that you join us in vision, in meditation, and in prayer. And by all means, go to your local peace poll, plant a peace poll, and join us in saying, may peace prevail on earth. Is that a particular time zone? Every, every time, every time so. No. I'm checking. You know, I didn't in know your own time and no, then like midnight on you, Australia, right? These are questions that are important. You know, that's why we want you to do it in your own time zone. Gotcha. And you know, the Hawaiians say that noon is sacred because there's no shadow. Ah. So I love that. I love that it's 12 noon in every time zone, and, and you can picture just a wave of peace embracing the planet with love. You mentioned something that I want to touch into before we jump into the evolutionary leaders. You said the media doesn't pick up a lot of the stuff that happens at the UN that is really good work. So you've been there for a while. What's been like some, like maybe just one thing that really stood out to you that was not really told to the world, some kind of information that made it out, that some breakthrough, whatever it is, some good news that you've heard that didn't go out into the world? Well, the first thing that comes into my mind is just the phrase, a culture of peace. A culture of peace, that phrase came up through UNESCO, which is an agency of the United Nations and then was brought into the UN itself. And there was a resolution passed in the General Assembly for a program of action for a culture of peace. 
And when I first heard the term culture of peace, I don't know what it makes you think of, but for me, it made me realize how much we didn't have one and how every country in the world emerged through violence and bloodshed, whether it was revolution or conquest or however it came into being. We have a very violent history. We do indeed. And the future that you want and that I want does not include that consciousness that believes that violence can solve problems. I think we've learned that. In fact, I am convinced that war is already obsolete, that we've already learned that it's just not a good way to, to fix anything. Well, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't not work. Working. It really doesn't work. One of the things I, I believe that most people don't realize, and this is something for myself I didn't realize until sometime in the last couple of years, was that we are actually in one of the most peaceful times ever on the planet. And it doesn't, That's frightening, isn't it? <laughs> it is, right? But, that, but, but I think it's because we, we are so interconnected now that we now know what's happening across the planet. We can know if there's a, a violence or an attack in the Middle East or if there's a bombing somewhere in Europe or there's a shooting somewhere in America. We can all know within moments of it happening where previously in the world, it took news a long time to travel, a lot longer to travel anyways. And there was a lot of stuff that was kept out of the public's eye. And I believe, like, is there still a lot of violence in the world? Absolutely. And it's decreasing and has been decreasing for quite some time. Mm -hmm. When you look at the numbers, statistically, we are moving into a much more peaceful age. And I believe these are just the next steps along the way into creating a culture of peace as people start to realize more and more and more that the violence doesn't work. And there's more and more people that are pushing for solutions that are towards getting rid of and, and moving in that direction of peace, which I think is an actually, you know, absolutely incredible life journey. And that is precisely the transformation of consciousness that we're all in in this moment. Absolutely. And that's what the evolutionary leaders circle is about. So tell us a little bit more about that. So the evolutionary leaders circle that's a project of the Source of Synergy Foundation, which was started by my dear friend, Diane Williams. And it began as a way to bring people who are at the edge of this evolution, well-known people. In the beginning, we were focused on people who are uh, authors and speakers, uh, teachers in this consciousness movement that has no name, who are often on panels together and conferences, but don't have a chance to get together with one another and share their ideas and form community. So we began bringing international leaders together. And then the first evolutionary leaders meeting was co-convened. The Source of Synergy Foundation uh, co-convened it with Deepak Chopra and the Association for Global New Thought. Everybody that, that came, and there were a lot of people who are well-known inside this community who attract thousands of readers. Deepak is still our best-known, but some of the people who are listening may be familiar with the work of, of Bruce Lipton or Gene Houston or Barbara Marks Hubbard, Greg Braden, Joan Borisenko, uh, 
Jack Canfield, who wrote The Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, who wrote Conversations with God, Gary Zukov, who wrote The Seed of the Soul, you know, on and on. These, these were the kinds of people that would come together and we brought them together in a retreat about, I don't know, 30 or 35 of them for a day. And they all said, well, wait a minute. We, we don't want this to stop. We, we want to keep meeting. And that's how this community was born. At that time, uh, the, the members also got together and uh, crafted something called a call to conscious evolution, which you can find on the website, evolutionaryleaders.net. And so that people could sign on to be part of a community that has chosen to evolve consciously. Mm. So this is, this is a great deal of that is Barbara Marks Hubbard's work, Conscious Evolution, the idea that humanity has been evolving, everything evolves, you know, all life evolves. But this is a moment in time when we can choose the direction of our evolution. And we can declare that, for instance, that we want to live in a culture of peace, so we're going to do everything we can to move in that direction, for instance. That's really beautiful. And one of my questions I have inside of that is, for the people listening to this today, what, how can somebody out there apply this in their everyday life? Like, what does that look like out in the world? You know, we wake up, we do our things every day. We have our morning routines. We have our jobs. We have our families. Practical yeah, like what does that look like for, you know, just your, your everyday person that has something inside of them that says, you know, I would really want to push for a world of peace, but maybe they don't have the time or the resources. Maybe they're a single mother. What can they do? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that question because this has really been at the forefront of what I've been thinking about lately. So my own organization, the Garden of Light, which is at gardenoflight.org, <clears throat> That's about the emerging global spirituality. And the reason that I, that I created that website is that I felt that there was a growing community of spirit that was coming together around certain uh, beliefs and principles that were becoming common, don't belong to any particular religion so that you could be a practicing member of a religion or you could be a non-believer, but still believe, for instance, that there's wisdom in all the holy books, but nobody has the complete picture or that we need to respect indigenous wisdom because it's going to help us learn how to live in harmony with the earth or that, that the earth itself is a living system within a living universe, and we're all part of that interrelated web of life. So I was seeing this, the emergence of these kind of overarching beliefs that seem to me to be creating a community of people that doesn't recognize itself as a community. But lately, it's occurred to me that even though the Garden of Light, on, on the website, you can if you join up, you can like add movies that you feel are expressing this or, um, you know, we have a Pinter, Pinterest boards with artwork and, and poetry and there's a place to post prayers and all of this for a spiritual community. But lately I've been thinking, what are the actual aspects of this 
new consciousness that we're coming into together that aren't necessarily even spiritual or wouldn't necessarily be thought of that way. But they're more like, what are the commonalities among people who feel like they are in that emerging community? Right. I think that's a really great inquiry because what is what's underneath it all? What are the discoveries that are what are the nuts and bolts of it, if you will? Right. I mean, I'm reminded of uh, the, the author Napoleon Hill, who studied, you know, early 1900s. He studied the, some of the richest people in the world. Think and grow rich. Think and grow rich. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So like he he did a really marvelous job of pulling out the common denominators of all these really successful people and the ideas of wealth behind it. So what I hear is. Uh, and think I, and grow conscious yeah or like <laughs> think and grow peaceful who knows whatever yeah. you're pulling out these ideas like what are the fundamentals what are the, the commonalities across the religions across the cultures races genders gender identities um you know sexual preferences all of it what what are the, the common denominators that move towards that I, I mean i think first and foremost when at least in my head loving kindness I mean, yes. you know, just to jump in real quick on that, we were, when we were in all in Africa, it was really cool to see like, you know, like Chief Phil and like um, Sufi Salman and like the rabbi, they were all jumping in and we were asking, they were all talking about their different religious and their viewpoints and standpoints like that. And the general theme was all about love and there was more bringing us together than was dividing us. And you being mm -hmm. an interfaith minister, mm -hmm. obviously you see that. <laughs> so, yeah, what's your opinion on that? Well, I do agree with you, Raj, that love is the overarching value, if you will. Mm -hmm. But in a way, that doesn't answer Daryl's question. Okay. You know, because I think that most people, especially when you're in a kind of like a transition consciousness, would see love as many faceted with, and, and that there would be aspects of struggle and conflict within that. And that the kind of all-embracing love that is taught by most major religions may seem inaccessible to people. Yeah. I so the question really would be like, how do you move from where you are into the kind of a state where you could experience unconditional love? Yes. Wow. And when all of us traveled, we, you know, we had the extreme joy of traveling to Ethiopia together with people of so many different faiths and so many gifted musicians and photographers. <laughs> uh, we experienced what it's like to be in a community of unconditional love where everyone was in support of one another and there was no sense of, of struggle or competition or um, any real conflict. It was all about how can we make it work for the group and for this beautiful experience that we're having and we'll want to share with the world. And you can imagine that that might have been possible in a tribal society for the tribe. But now... Everybody playing their role. Right. Right. How can I serve and what are the gifts? What are my gifts? Right. But now we're, now we're looking at on, on a global level. Right. The so that question that you're asking now, how can I serve? That's 
that is fundamental, that recognition that everyone brings a unique gift to the table. Mm. And there's no one who's extraneous and there's no one who's better than anybody else because we, we may think they're better because they speak better or they sing better or they, you know, whatever, right. but that's just their gift. Yeah. And they may be, you know, a terrible photographer or an yeah. awful, an awful cook. And right. you better have a cook, you know, in your society and, and a teacher and a, and a plumber because everyone has gifts to bring. And in our competitive society, it's always about who's at the, who's the best at something, but really you need everybody and everyone is somewhat different. That's what's amazing about human beings is that no two are alike. So there's a fundamental level of respect and appreciation. And when you move into that, you lose your own self-consciousness and you, you, you lose your, your own. I think there's a kind of an epidemic of unworthiness feeling in our Absolutely. society. Well, I, I, I really would like to just touch on one of the points that you were just pointing to here, which I think, at least particularly in Western society, and I think this has become a little more global, we tend to glorify the people in front of the crowds. We glorify the singers, the talkers, the performers, all these other things. You know, and I've been in and around photography business, and I've been around the entertainment industry living in Los Angeles for a long time. Something most people do not recognize is how many people it takes to have something happen. Even just a photo shoot, let's just say with an actor, you got to have at least 30 or 40 people to produce this photo shoot. Right. One person. Right. Yeah, they get all the glory and like we, we glorify them, we deify them to a certain extent without really looking at the value that everybody is bringing to the process. And that is really the message. And what I heard you say is we all have our place to part in the, in this play, in this, this game called life and this global evolving consciousness is what is our role and start asking one another and asking ourselves, where can I be of service? Cause that service could be going to feed homeless. That service could be taking care of foster children. That service could just be being a good parent. We yeah, are helping your grandmother or, or something that's very yeah. close to home. Right. And, and I think it's also important, especially for young people, but I, this probably applies just as well to older people. If you don't have something that you think that you're particularly good at, it doesn't mean that you don't have any worth. Just because you don't have like one particular talent that you're best at. I love what you're saying, Daryl, is that the real question is, how can I serve? Once you're serving other people, you are of value. Even if you're just lifting their spirits with a smile or a thank you, there's an intrinsic value to every human being. And it has to do with the love in your heart. Yeah, that's that's a very powerful statement right there. I completely concur. Mm -hmm. You want to chime in on this one, Raj? No, I think you guys talked about it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things don't need to be said. Sometimes less is more. You exactly. Know, speak less, say more, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Deb, moving forward with you, what is your next chapter of life, I guess, is the best way to 
phrase it? What are you focused on? What are you moving towards? What's some projects you got going on? Well, that's a wonderful way to put it because I do feel that I've, that I'm entering my next phase of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you get to be my age, you start to think about how many years you have left to be an active service to humanity and you want to really make the most of it. And in that context, I've actually retired from my work at the United Nations because I felt like in a way I had, I had done what I was there to do and I wasn't enjoying sitting in meetings anymore. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to be free to do more with the Garden of Light, more with Unity Earth. I'm excited about our upcoming projects with Unity Earth. And particularly, I, um, I'd like to be able to give more focus to the Garden of Light and to the emerging spirituality because I think that those who recognize, self-recognize as being part of that community could be very powerful once, once we acknowledge that that exists. And we, we may be a minority right now, but we're bringing light. We're, we're cultivating the light in that garden. Every and, movement starts with one person. And it's, it's spreading. So I want to be able to do more writing and more speaking and I will be writing a column for a new online magazine called Light on Light, and it will be called Living Light. And um, there'll be a section on the, on the Garden of Light website where people can comment on that. And that will be about, about exactly the question that you posed, Daryl. What can people do in everyday life to be able to move into this community of emerging consciousness? so that we can all experience what, what you and I experienced in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. to live in that, in that wonderful space where everyone loves one and appreciates one another, and we feel like we are co-creating the future. That's really beautiful. What tidbits of wisdom, I, I guess I should say, <laughs> can you offer here, we got, you know, we're gonna, we got only got a few more minutes. I'm just wondering what tidbits of wisdom you can offer to the listeners from your uh, the Garden of Light and the writings that you're going to be putting out there in order to help facilitate what's happening next. Tidbits of wisdom. Mm. Well, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> first and foremost, keep breathing. You know, when you're in a stressful situation, breathe first and. The more all of us can learn to go within and to listen to that quiet voice that is trying to lead us forward into our highest purpose, that I, I think is, is really key. A meditation practice is probably the most valuable <laughs> tool right. that you can have. For those who don't have a meditation process, what tips could you offer to get that started? The first tip is don't think you're the only one on earth who can't do it. Because everybody, when they start to meditate, they go, oh, my mind is just too busy. I, there's no way I can quiet it down. Welcome to the human race in the 21st century. Uh-huh. We all have two busy minds. So that's why I was talking about breathing. If you just can give yourself, I think the key is, is a regular practice. So if you can just give yourself five or 10 minutes a day, preferably first thing in the morning, to sit and be quiet, and breathe, and relax your body. 
the next step is watching your thoughts go by instead of letting them lead you to and fro and just getting still. And then there are many, many books and technologies of meditation, and there are a lot of different kinds of meditation. So you can find what works for you. But the key is you just want to be listening. And if you are a spiritual person, if you pray, then that's good too. You know, they talk about meditation being listening and prayer being speaking. You can say a prayer and then, but don't forget to listen for the answer because you just might get one. You just might. And we always do if you're paying attention. There you go. I mean, I, I honestly believe the more I've meditated and the more I pray and pay attention to the spiritual side of my life, those prayers are always answered. It's just a matter of noticing where are you asking it from? Are you mm. coming from a place of pain? Are you coming from a place of lack? Or are you coming from a place of love and abundance and being filled and looking to see what shows up and paying attention? That's all part of the mindfulness I believe you're pointing to. Yes. And, and another very important practice is gratitude. Absolutely. It, it, no one has ever lived the way we live now with as much comfort and choice yeah, and uh, opening for, for creativity, uh, even just food security. Absolutely. You know, most of our ancestors, all, their whole life was about making sure to be able to feed themselves and their families. If you have enough food to eat, you have something to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the more you focus on what you're grateful for, the more you'll be able to not be driven by what you lack. Uh, completely. And I, I believe a good practice that I put into place that the listeners may be able to use is keep what's called a gratitude journal. Yeah. And just Beautiful. write down in there a little page, 10, 5, 10, 15, however many things you want to put down of what you're grateful for every day. And it could be for the shoes on your feet. It could be that you can walk. You have eyes to see. We all have blessings. We just have to start to look for them. It's a great thing to do also before you go to sleep at night. And the first thing you can be thankful for is your nice, cozy bed. Absolutely. (laughs) And And then you open your, that also opens your unconscious dreaming mind to more positive influence. If you go to bed and you are worrying about tomorrow and you're just letting your anxieties run you, then you're not going to sleep very well. And you want to, you want to kind of train your inner being to be able to see what's good and true and beautiful in the world, in your world. And energetically speaking too, if you're depressed if you're sad and whatever, and you take some time and you focus on gratitude, you cannot be sad and grateful at the same <laughs> time. It's just two opposite ends of the spectrum. So if you're ever in a funk like me, I used to suffer from depression. And what I used to do was I would literally focus whenever I do it and spend 30 seconds every day, top five things I'm grateful for. Let's go. Boom, 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 boom. Snap out of it. Let's go for it. And really sit there and feel that energy for a while and feel the gratitude in it. And you'll notice that you'll start to rise back up. Your breathing will change. Your way you look at the world will change. Your understanding, your mental calmness, I think, will come back to you. 
And yeah, it's, 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 it's very powerful is that gratitude. Normally what we do is we give our listeners a assignment or a project for the week to take under. So I would say breathing and gratitude is something that they should definitely do this week to start the ball rolling. And then a bonus project is to go on worldpeace.org. And <laughs> plant a peace bowl. <laughs> plant a peace bowl. Yeah. Do you want to add anything to that, Deborah? I do. I have another bonus project. Uh-huh. If it. you should happen to have someone in your life who's problematic for you, let's see if there's anyone who doesn't have someone in their life who right. might be challenging you. A beautiful spiritual practice is to bless them. Mm. Yeah. And I don't mean to their face, but when you are face to face, when, when you, they don't, you don't have to be face to face to do this practice. You can just be thinking about them and sending a prayer for their well-being or sending them a blessing. But when you are face to face with someone and you're noticing that you're having some kind of negative reaction to them, see the divine in them. Absolutely. Bless them. Train yourself to see the divine in them. Mm. And as that practice begins to flower in you, you'll just fall in love with everybody in your life. Wow. Yeah, I love that. That's really beautiful. beautiful. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add extra credit. In extra, 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 extra. <laughs> what you just said is beautiful because it reminds me of uh, the Hawaiian prayer, Honopono. Yes. Which has been very powerful in my own life and mm-hmm. situations well. with people where I've, I've dealt with some really challenging situations, particularly emotional things with relationships and parental. And this is, a, you know, the prayer is, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And thank you. And just like you said, do that on your own. Send that prayer to whomever is challenging you. And even if that person has done you wrong, I promise mm. it will shift the energy in ways you cannot imagine. I have seen it work over and over again. Just and it, and it puts us back in the driver's seat of being like, you know what? I'm choosing to let this go. So I, I love what you said. And just and. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, I love this. We're just going to keep up. No, no, not another assignment, but another benefit of that is that the other person will change. It's true. I've seen it happen. Yeah. I've, I have seen it happen. I, I get chills just yeah. thinking about that because it's absolutely true. And you're listening to us and you're thinking, oh, come on. It's, that's not going to change very, very that. Yeah. But no. But just experiment. <laughs> Try, Try it for yourself. Put it in your own life. Because I'll tell you what, I am spiritual. I am woo-woo, but I am also a skeptic. <laughs> me too. Skeptic, I, will lie, I won't lie. And I, sometimes I need proof for myself, but when I oh, see totally. these things happen and you when you pay attention, deny. you cannot deny. Like, okay, uh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the other day, I was, I rented a car and I was driving through Malibu and I was just out there and I took a, I pulled over on the side of the road. I was just overlooking the ocean and I just decided to take a prayer and just ask for confirmation that I'm on the right path and to just show some gratitude and just, just be with my emotions for a minute and just have that calm place. And I was in a kind of a mental funk earlier in that day and just to just to reiterate on the skepticism and so forth. And I, I, I stood there and I said, you know what? I said, God, if I am on the right path, if 
this is where I'm supposed to be doing. If what I'm supposed to be doing, I need to see some fucking dolphins flying over, like swimming over the ocean. And I want them <laughs> right now. And literally, I, I opened my eyes and 10 seconds later, 10 dolphins started swimming. In <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, okay. I get it. All right. I'll show wow. It. <laughs> I'm listening. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What a great story. So, yeah. So I have... One final question that I like to ask um, our, everyone that we interview, especially someone who, like you, has dedicated your entire life to this path of spirituality um, and interfaith and peace. What's been your biggest takeaway or realization or breakthrough after being on this path for so long? What's been something that stands out the most um, to take, that, that recently showed up to you? Like you're talking about, like, this is a new chapter for you in your life. There has to be new realizations that have shown up with you to have those new chapter moments. One of the things that's becoming increasingly clear to me is the trajectory of my own path. So I have some friends in this work who started very early they were seeing ascended masters or they had a near-death experience, uh, young or something like that. And they're very intuitive and they, you know, were always very spiritual. But I wasn't. I grew up in show business, which is extremely self-oriented. <laughs> and I've been seeing how my life has has been traveling an arc of discovery mm. that's brought me into this place where I am now, where I have so many friends all over the world who are in this movement of awakening consciousness, who are contributing to it with their work, but who are also living it and, and attempting to grow into it. I used to be kind of envious of the people who had like a jump start on that spirituality. But I've come to see that part of my mission, and I think many people's missions right now, is to actually live the transition, mm. to come from a dark place, like the one that Raj was describing. And myself included. And Daryl. I think the three of us actually really share that in common. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a universal quality to that. Yeah. We have been living this moment in time when we come from a place where it was all about me, and we've some moment started to break open our heart. And as we lived more and more into our sense of purpose and service, as Daryl was saying, then we could actually see ourselves changing and our outlook becoming less self-absorbed and more deeply concerned about other people, more deeply concerned about the fate of the planet and how we're treating our beautiful Mother Earth. Mm and to become more deeply invested in the future of humanity, which isn't even a given right now. You know, if we continue with business as usual, the earth is going to tell us that it's had enough. Yeah. So we need to make radical, meaning from the roots, changes 
in every system that we have, that our culture has built, everything, you know, education, business, finance, governance, agriculture, you name it. We need to learn to live in harmony with the earth and with one another. And each of us has a role that we are playing in that process of self-transformation. That's each of us is a, is a whole on of the whole of humanity that is evolving right now. And that is the excitement of being on planet Earth right now. Yeah. Wow. Even if your life is not giving you everything you hoped you would have in it, for instance, if you are playing even a small role in that, then you are making that garden of light shine. And you are part of the emerging culture of peace. And you are making a difference. Wow. Thank you for that, Deborah. I think with that, we can go ahead and. Go yeah. On. Yeah. I think, that was, uh, that was that's beautiful. the best that's way to enough. close things yeah. off. So uh, <laughs> I, I just want to say thank you, Deborah, for uh, being part of our little project here. And I know this is the first of many conversations that we will be having because I, I would love to have you back on there. We need some really strong female leaders to come on and really impart some knowledge, especially in the world today. And yeah, I, I would love, I would just love to show gratitude to you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you and, so much for your wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Well, blessings on this project. Um, May it touch many, many lives with, with your, your joyful spirit. Thank you. Thank you so much. Blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag Hashtag blessed. blessed. All right, viewers. Well, we will see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a comment. Put some reviews on there, preferably positive ones. We love those. And, uh, yeah, and go on our Facebook page. Go on our social media platforms. Reach out to us. Let us know how this episode has impacted you, what you've taken away from it, something you're grateful for. I want to see some really interesting stuff on there. So, yeah, just chime in, and we love to continue this conversation. Post some stuff you would love to hear. Any questions you have for Deb for the future episodes, be sure to put them in there, and we will see you on the next one. All right. Bye. Bye.